Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Insurance for My Fluffy with your host, Katie Gurnett, Compliance Manager of Advertising for Physicians Mutual Insurance Company who has over 30 years of industry experience and is a past AICP president. Join Katie as she sits down with Cindy Burleson and Bill Horan to talk all about pet insurance and why it has become one of the fastest growing segments of the insurance industry. Cindy is a lecturer and director of the Center for Insurance and Risk Management Studies at the University of Central Arkansas, who prior to this was the director of compliance and risk management for a national pet insurance agency. Bill is the pet health product manager for Physicians Mutual Insurance Company. He was previously employed by FIGO Pet Insurance and IHC Group Specialty Benefit and has been in the insurance industry for over 30 years. And now, here's your host, Katie Gurnett. Well, I want to welcome everybody here to to our podcast on pet insurance and and our two people who are are experts in the field, which are Bill Horan and Cindy Burleson. And one thing I have learned about pet insurance that I think we'll just start this off with is that everybody who's involved in it is passionate about this topic. And part of the reason they are passionate is because they have pets themselves. So we're going to start off that first so you get a little personal taste of, of Bill and Cindy. I myself have a golden retriever named Maisie. She's about 18 months old and more energy and fluff than I care to even examine. So Bill, tell me about your dog, or us, I should say. Oh, I have a wonderful dog. His name is Bentley. He's an eight-year-old Bernese Mountain Dog, and he has had pet insurance since he was six weeks old. And that's the one thing I have learned about Bill. Every time he finds out that you have a pet, he will ask you, the first question will be, do you have pet insurance? So thanks, Bill. Cindy, I think you have a menagerie, maybe a small zoo, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, no. I have a mixed breed dog he's actually a rottweiler mix named max max does not have pet insurance but we had max quite a while before i ever found out about pet insurance and he has some uh issues not life-threatening issues but some issues that you know we had to deal with and we may talk a little bit about how pet insurance operates but i have uh i have grand pets uh, there's two miniature dachshunds thor and bucky and then three hamsters. That counts as a menagerie on, on yeah. my, my scope there. So with that being said, let's start out with a general discussion about what is pet insurance? Why is it under PNC? You know, our fur babies are not furniture. So why is it considered property and casualty and not more of a health type coverage? Well, pet insurance, uh, when it, when it began, when it, you know, when it first began, really, of course, insurance for like racehorses, has existed for a long time. And then back in the, I believe, Bill, and you can correct me on the around the dates, but uh, the early to mid-60s, when Jack Stevens, uh, when they started the first pet insurance policy, and of course, Lassie was the first dog insured by pet insurance, animals were considered property and the product was built off of a property foundation kind of based on the way uh, the policies were written for racehorses and other animals of that type. Yeah, and to add on to that, Cindy, it's it's exactly right. There was not a line of business back then for pets. 
There was equine, okay, for horses. There was livestock. There was agriculture, and all those were property-related, at least property and casualty-related product lines, but nothing for pet. So by default, it wasn't human health. It wasn't horses. It wasn't cattle, okay? So they put it in Inland Marine, of all things, which is like all other property coverages for sake of nowhere else to put it. It was a property coverage, and so that till today – that's where pet insurance is filed and approved as an inland marine coverage under a property cover. We've talked about horses and dogs and cats, but in today's world, what animals generally are covered under pet insurance? Oh, good question. Most of the pet providers out there today only provide coverage for dogs and cats. Okay, there's a couple providers that extend that to exotics, birds, horses, um, a lot of other things, but they're they're in the minority. Mainly because if you look at uh, horses, there's a whole industry for that. Uh, and then a lot of people don't want to mess with or try to underwrite snakes or lizards or birds. It's it's a tough underwriting thing. And I don't think anybody wants to do hamsters. Sorry, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. So describe what's included in a pet insurance policy. What's What's all bundled in there? Pet insurance policies are going to include, and this is, you know, it's very, it's been very confusing, and I'm not sure if we will talk about this, you know, a little bit later. People always get it confused with health insurance. And a pet insurance policy has many of the same coverages that you would find in a health insurance policy because you're going to be covered. You know, you can be depending on the company and the way the package is written, and companies differ, you know, on how what exact package they provide. But you can have coverage for vet visits, you know, your your wellness visits, and then, of course, coverages for various illnesses that pets, that especially dogs and cats, experience all the way through to being covered for things like acupuncture and many different types of therapy. I don't know. At the time that I was working in pet insurance, there were very few companies, if any, that would cover things like transplants, but those are available for pets. So pets can receive medical treatment that's very similar to an individual, and the pet insurance policies are covering those types of coverages. Many people would get confused and think that pet insurance policies would cover like one dog biting a person, or in, which is liability coverage, and pet insurance policies are not written for that purpose. You know, that coverage would be found in maybe a homeowner's policy or, you know, a business policy, depending on what type of business you have. Pet insurance policies, though, cover more the medical needs that pets have. Bill, you want to add to that? Yeah, it's ironic that you would pick, you know, uh, dogs uh, fighting or anything like that or vicious bites because we would not cover a dog that is licensed or put in a fight. But if a dog is bit by another dog, okay, we would cover that as a medical treatment to help heal the dog and, and for all the surgery that may be required or any kind of the treatment. But we don't cover the dog, okay? for that specific activity if it's involved in that on purpose. So it, it's an interesting line that we cover illness and accidents, okay, like you would think so in human health. But now pet insurance has expanded over the last decade to include things like vacation cancellation, that if I can't go on vacation because my pet's in an emergency, okay, or I'm sick and I can't take care of my dog, I can buy cover to board my dog or cat for a while on certain things like that. If my dog is lost or stolen, I may have some small amount of coverage that allows me to recoup some of my cost of trying to find my dog if it's stolen. So it's it's gone from just 
I say just, it's gone from a really comprehensive set of coverages for illnesses and accidents to stuff that would help the pet parent as well as provide some other type of coverage for the pet itself. So the, the whole product is evolving beyond just what it started out years and years ago, decades ago, as just for an accident or just for an illness with the dog. It's expanded quite a bit. It's interesting you use that term pet parent because I think that that plays into how pet insurance is marketed. How is it? How is pet insurance marketed differently than regular people or homeowners insurance or anything? You know what people see as their car insurance. Our students are probably more uh, most familiar with their their car insurance, for instance, or their health insurance. How how is pet insurance marketed a little bit differently than any of those type of coverages? On a practical basis, it's marketed the same. We go and we do search. We put on display ads on online. We send out potential mailers or inserts. So all of the traditional marketing methods for insurance are the same. The biggest difference to me is the emotional pull that pets have. Okay, so when you're selling to someone online and they're looking to buy pet insurance, it's not about the the nuts and bolts of the policy. It's how does it protect your pet? How do you provide the best care for your pet? And there's a thing in pet that we all we try to avoid. It's called financial euthanasia. And it's that whole piece of we want people to buy pet insurance so that when they go to the vet, they don't have to worry about what it costs to save their vet. Typically, you don't think about saving my car, saving my home in the same emotional light. When you're going to shop auto or home, you're probably looking at price, maybe a rating, how well do they pay claims. When you're buying pet, you're, you're trying to find some kind of connection with that provider that gives you the emotional support that I'm doing the right thing for my pet. And that's not in every line of business. And, and for me, that's why it's, it, it's easy to be passionate about pet. We are providing a real tangible value that when I take my pet in who's been severely injured and the vet saves and I get some of my money back from pet insurance, that, that is, is a direct connection between I have insurance I paid for and I get a benefit. You don't always see that in auto. You never have a rack. You understand your rate go up, your rates go up. Why am I still having this? You have to have it. The state says so. Same thing with homeowners, same thing with health insurance. But you may not always see that value you would, the way you would, the way a pet parent would when they get to save their pet. And that's right, Bill. And another area, too, that a lot of uh, companies market pet insurance is they will work with, like, the animal welfare agencies. And so when people are coming in and are adopting pets, you know, they're, uh, many of those agencies will talk to them about pet insurance for their pet because now you've You've made this investment, and as you know, a lot of times when people come in to adopt their pets, they've got their kids with them, and it's a very emotional experience. And so these agencies will talk to their new pet parents about pet insurance to protect their pets. And it's, as Bill said, you know, it's all built around, you know, that emotional idea of not having to put the pets down, being able to protect them. And, you know, children are involved, so... Those are, are definitely areas where um, marketing takes place is with entities like that who are handling pets. We also had to talk about the biggest channel of people endorsing pet, okay, is the veterinarians. That you go into any clinic and you'll find brochures that uh, represent multiple, maybe one, but usually it's three different pet insurance providers. And in the last five years, the uh, veterinarian field has become more open to talking about insurance. I wouldn't say they openly endorse it for their clients, but now they're willing to talk about it and maybe talk about the value of having pet insurance. 
to the vets, it, it, it without a doubt brings them more money to their clinic because you have an insured person coming back probably more often than a non-insured person. So there is a real financial incentive for the veterinarians now to use pet insurance too. Not only does it help the pet parent keep their pet healthy or get them healthy again, but it helps the vet clinics too in terms of having a loyal customer come back and also having a little bit additional revenue for their clinic. It, it's a kind of a win-win for both sides of the equation right now. I will tell you, it did not used to be a win-win. The vets were not against it, but they were very, very silent about pet insurance. They didn't really see the value and they have changed their tone over time to recognize that pet insurance is a valuable thing that people can have. And a fourth area that has really grown recently too is with employee benefits. Because a lot of times, you know, people may have a pet and they think, well, there's no way I could afford pet insurance. But when it's offered as part of an employee benefits package, well, now here's one where, you know, the premium is going to be taken out of my paycheck. You never really even see it. And so the growth in employee benefits offerings of pet insurance is uh, is a, a really big growth area right now uh, where pet insurance is being offered. And, and so that just gives people another opportunity to take care of their pets. And in a, in a way that's beneficial to everyone. Cindy, that's a great point. I, I mean, if the stats are right for all the employers with 10,000 employees or more, one out of three of them offer some kind of pet benefits, voluntary pet benefits. And now it's becoming an attraction tool as well as a retention tool to keep employees that they're saying, oh, you know, I have voluntary benefits that include pet. They include maybe prepaid legal. They include some kind of dental but PET is right up there on that list of voluntary benefits that they're selling, along with the regular health and life insurance for employees. It's a big deal right now. Since uh, so many companies are starting to offer this, what, what does the PET insurance market look like? Is it a place for a lot of growth, a little growth? What, what is it doing in general? I'll jump on that because that's kind of why I'm here at this company is to help build a new product because we believe that there is a lot of room. Okay. I mean, we're a $2 billion industry, including Canada. Okay. Um, that's, I don't know how many, 420 million pets insured or something like that. But that total number of pets insured is, is barely 2% of all the pets in the U.S. So people go, oh my gosh, 2%, if you're 2 billion and you're 2%, you could be hundreds of billions. We're not because there are places of the, of the country, there's cultural and demographic beliefs that people are just not going to buy pet insurance. Okay. But the places that are still have a lot of room for expansion. I will tell you the pandemic as bad as it was for all of us as people and friends and loved ones and all that stuff, it was a boon to the pet industry. So many people were locked up at home that a lot of them got pets and a lot of them bought pet insurance. All right. So not only is the growth there, but what's helping fuel that growth is also awareness. Okay. Six or seven years ago, if you told anybody you're in pet insurance or you thought about pet insurance, they would go, ah, really? Does that exist? Now it's like, yeah, maybe I'll get it. I heard about it from a friend. So we've really just started to reach the beginning of what I would consider steady, accumulative, big growth in pet insurance. There are probably a new entrant every month. There has been for the last year, whether they're doing a white label program and using somebody else's system, they're using a different underwriter, or they're a, a national provider coming out with their own program. There's still a lot of people getting into it because the cost of entry, that's going to sound like, maybe tongue in cheek, but the cost of entry might only be five to $10 million to get into pet. If you got into a line like auto or home, it's a lot more. It's, it's 
you know, quantum leaps more than that to get into those lines of business. So it appears to be still a relatively cheap line of business to get into that can be profitable, but returns a really good emotional value to your customers. So those companies that recognize that and they can sell to that still have a lot of room to grow and decent profits along the way. So you brought up a good point about underwriting and everything. Tell us some of the, tell our students some of the quirks or interesting little tidbits about underwriting pet insurance as opposed to a human health insurance. Are there differences? Are they the same? When it comes to rating for uh, for pet insurance, you would hear many of the same same factors that you might even hear on rating your auto, because a lot of it's going to depend on you know the type of pet that you have. There are so many different dog breeds you know that exist, and especially if you have pure breeds, then there are different illnesses or types of injuries that certain dogs can have that are going to feed into that rating. So you can have, you know, a breed that's much more expensive to insure than say just a mixed Heinz 57 because of their propensity to have certain issues. So the type of pet, just like I said, when you're comparing it to an auto, just like your type of vehicle is going to factor into the cost of the insurance. But along with that, you're going to have, you know, where you live. Do you live in the city? Are you in a place where there's a lot more traffic, a lot more people? Are you out in the country? So the area where you live in, you know, is going to factor into it. Is it a male or a female? What's the age of the um, pet? Is it uh, an older pet, you know, who would be closer to having a lot of issues? Or is it a brand new, you know, six-month-old puppy or or a kitten? So those kind of factors are all going to be a part of the rating algorithm within rating for pet insurance. Yeah, I'll I'll tag team on that, Cindy. It's a good point uh, on the area you live because one of the key factors of the cost of pet insurance is the cost of veterinary care, okay? And so where you live really determines the cost of your vet care because it's a lot more expensive in downtown Chicago, okay, than it is in rural Iowa. So when you look at that kind of geographic spread of risk, we have to take that into account. If also the stats are right, then the cost of veterinary care is going up each year more than the cost of human health care. Vets are adding every bit of technology they can, ultrasounds, MRIs, EKG machines. They're doing all kinds of tests on pets that used to only be done on humans. Okay. And so they're adding layer upon layer of technology. They're adding all kinds of servers and electronic method for diagnostics, treatment and everything in, the, in their clinics. All of that costs money. And that is being passed on to the consumer. And as an insurance company to have adequate rates, we have to continue to look at those increases in cost to make sure that we have an adequately priced product to return profit to our company that's taking the risk, as well as a fair price to the consumer. So they get all those procedures covered. Because you really want to go in with your pet and say, yes, do the MRI, do the x-ray, because I don't know what's wrong. Do the ultrasound so we can find out what's wrong versus just listen to it and field around and maybe that's good enough. You know, most pet parents want a full set so they can make informed decisions, not guesses about what to do with their pet. And another thing too that can affect, and this is you know more on the pet parent side when you talk about underwriting, and there may be some companies because I've been out of the pet insurance business for a couple of years now. At the time I was there, different than people insurance, people health insurance, there are laws and regulations that that regulate what insurance companies can and can't do when it comes to pre-existing illnesses. But for pet insurance, those laws and regulations don't apply. 
So often, you know, if a, that's where I was talking about my dog, Max, because he has some pre-existing issues. Most pet insurance policies, at least the last ones that I reviewed, won't accept those past issues until at least a period, either a period of time has passed, you know, where they've been healthy. So pre-existing issues can be a detriment as far as price or, you know, pricing or for pet parents who are looking to, uh, to get a pet covered. I don't know how many times when I was working in the industry, I would have friends who would come to me and say, oh, I have a puppy. He's sick. How can I get pet insurance? Well, you know, that's not the time to be taking out the insurance. So the best thing for pet parents to do is to take out pet insurance as early as possible when you, you know, when you get a pet to keep those kinds of issues from happening. Yeah, there's no ACA for the for the pet people here. <laughs> no, 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 there's you're gonna, not. You're going you're to have to mess with that. So, but that does bring up about the claims. So when claims go to be, you know, determined in a company, do we use the same type of people that we would use to settle a, a human health claim? I actually managed claims department for a period of time for a pet insurance agency. And we, at least by the time that, that I left, we had either vet technicians who had been hired as and trained as adjusters, and we had two veterinarians who were on staff as uh, adjusters. So because they knew how to read the information that was coming in from the vets, where someone like me, I wouldn't know what that means. But so we tried to hire people as adjusters and train them as adjusters who understood the vernacular of the veterinarian industry, which made it a lot easier to process those claims that were coming in to cover those types of illnesses. Well, I think, Bill, you've mentioned to me before that part of that reasoning is that there's no standardization. Correct. If, if there was standardization and coding, then we could have less veterinary medicine skilled technicians, okay, or professionals doing the claims, because then it would be kind of a rote process like it is for human health now. Unfortunately, it's not. There is a set of codes that some of the governing bodies for veterinary medicine have put out, but there's no mandate or financial incentive for any of the vet clinics to use these codes. I still have a vet who handwrites my diagnosis and my bill. No codes at all, okay? It's just U.S. dollars. So you can't put that into a system easily. You can't send it through OCR and have it read by a system. So we're still to a degree antiquated on the claim side of claim submission. It's getting better. Well, a lot of the vets are starting to use codes, but there's no standardization out there. So we still have to have somebody at the end of that paper and or electronic or a PDF trail that understands veterinary medicine to determine if this is a right or wrong claim. Or better yet, not right or wrong, but of that claim, what is eligible for coverage? Okay, what was valid to be covered? Cindy touched a little bit on this whole pre-existing thing, and, and it's kind of a bugaboo in pet, okay? And, and we have a clause that says if your pet experienced any symptoms of something, it's not covered. And people go, well, that seems unfair because in human health, we don't have pre-existing anymore. It went away years ago, okay? Big difference is people can talk. They can tell you, yes, I'm pregnant. Yes, I have cancer. Yes, I have this. Pets can't, okay? You can only notice symptoms, and you have to go to the vet. So to keep the price for consumers good, low, okay, or lower as it can be, and to minimize our risk for adverse selection as an insurance company, we don't cover pre-existing because we don't know until they go to the vet. So we put in those kind of conditions to protect the rate. If not, 
you would see much, much higher rates across the industry if we didn't protect against pre-existing. And, and again, that's part of the claim process that people go through, and they think everything should be covered like Cindy said, but it can't be, okay, or the rate could be a lot higher. So that's why we have those kind of conditions on the claim side. You have students out there right now saying, I don't believe you. My dog does talk to me. I'm just telling you that now. Okay. So they, they're not believing you. They think they, they talk to them. If they can prove it, we'll pay the claim. <laughs> there you go. Right. There, there you go. Right. But you did bring in regulation in here a little bit. So let's just talk a little bit about regulation because it is not as regulated as human health. As Human health is highly regulated by the states. Talk a little bit about what the regulatory environment is right now and maybe what's to come, what what we see on the horizon. Oh, wow. There is potentially big changes for pet insurance. There is a NAIC, National Association of Insurance Commissioners, working group that right now is looking at a model law for pet. Pet has become big enough of a, of a uh, insurance line, not dollars-wise, but just awareness-wise, that now the commissioners are looking at it to figure out how to make it the best for consumers and insurance companies. Typically, the insurance commissioners err on the consumer side, but there is a group, there's an industry group that is being able to lobby at least a little bit of the industry's desires and results for this as the working group goes forward to come up with a model law. The model law would restrict maybe some of the waiting periods out there before you get coverage. They would look at some of the definitions, and some of those changes are really good for consumers. Some are not good for the industry, and so there, there's a little bit of conflict there. But this is the first time in a long time that regulators as a body, as a group, have looked at PET. Typically, it's been sent to, and, and I don't mean this in any detrimental way, but one of the newer analysts that work on property to look at the marine coverages that people are sending in. And so it hasn't gotten a scrutiny that it had before. There's been a couple states that have brought up different rules about PET that either got passed or looked at or shot down that have brought that awareness to more state regulators. So we will see more changes in terms of regulation on PET. It will be more in favor of making it a consumer equal product. So people understand about the product, understand what they're buying. And that was one of the, the raps about PET before, is people didn't understand what they're buying. And we've made great strides in the pet industry, to open disclosures, transparent about what's not covered. And still yet we, we have room to grow where we can be more transparent to the consumer. So that's the kind of regulation you'll see the next piece is about licensing. Right now, if you want to sell pet insurance, you have to be a full property and casualty licensed agent or hold that license to sell pet insurance. Ironically, on the property and casualty license exam, there are zero questions about pet insurance. So you're not any more qualified after passing the test than you were before the test about what pet insurance is. So the industry has put together a request and into the regulators too to change that to a thing called a limited lines license. So that there's less requirements in terms of testing. It's it's you take an exam or a quiz or whatever it may be that's more geared towards pet insurance. And then we as the insurance company would take on the onus of training these people that we allow to have a, a limited lines license and sell our product. What that does is allows a lot larger body of people, men and women who have accident and health or don't want to get a full PNC, they can go get a limited lines. Now they can take it to their customers. Okay. So that that helps all of us because now the distribution expands which is always great for the marketplace. You know, competition is a good thing in terms of us getting to different distribution channels. The licensing piece is still being worked on and the model act is still being worked on. So to all you students out there, stay tuned. Yes, I'll back up what Bill was just talking about. I had the opportunity to sit in on the meetings for the first year of that working group. And it was just, uh, just as, a, a, as a listening participant, 
was very interesting to hear what was involved in putting together the beginnings of that model law. So, it, you know, it's good to hear where it's going. And I think licensing has always been a big issue within the pet industry. In fact, there were, e- there were even early on some discussions about should pet insurance, and if you took away the word insurance, pet coverage, e- even be an insurance coverage. But you can't call it a warranty because you can't, you know, it's, it's not a warranty. So there was really a lot of question early on about where pet coverage should reside. And uh, so it's taken a lot of years to get to the point, you know, where we are now. And the discussion about that limited license has always been a big part of the discussion. So hopefully that will move forward because that would much better fit the needs of the pet insurance industry rather than having people go through all of the pre-licensing courses for property, liability, auto, to work in an industry that never touches property, liability, or auto except, you know, just a very small piece in the pet insurance side and would expand into areas that you can't go into now as far as being able to offer pet insurance, you know, maybe even through the some of the vet offices or animal welfare agencies or pet stores where people could get involved. They can't now because of the licensing restrictions. So there's, you know, a lot on the horizon. There is a warranty makes it sound like your car. So I'm glad they right. didn't go that direction. <laughs> right. Or your phone, uh, your laptop. Right. Right. <laughs> I, you know, or when you go buy a curling iron at Kmart, would you like a warranty for your, <laughs> right. your right. Yeah, I don't think I'd like $12. that. $12.95 for the fifteen ninety five. Exactly. <laughs> <Curling> iron, <yeah. laughs> I, I would guess the discussion at the NEIC was as impassioned for pet insurance as it is when I hear pet insurance people get because most people own a pet of some type. You would think so. <laughs> you would think so, but you, you, would you, just, think so. you just never know. Um, the last piece of that, Kayette, I add on if I could, is sure. pet insurance has risen in an awareness with the commissioners. They're talking about making a separate line for reporting results for pet insurance. Right now, we report everything on Inland Marine. So if a company writes multiple lines on Inland Marine, you can't separate out the pet results. And so for us as an industry to say, this is what we have written as an industry. This is the reserves we need. This is the surplus we need. All the things that go with managing an insurance line are not available to us yet in PET because we don't report it separately as an industry. Internally, we can keep track of that for sure. But externally to the industry, we don't report on an aggregate basis with a separate line for reporting. And just to let our students know, Inland Marine covers a lot of those little knickknacky things. It can be jewelry, furs, computers. Um, it's just all the, like like Bill said earlier, it's kind of all the stuff that doesn't fall under your general property type of situation. So your your fur baby is getting thrown in with your favorite diamond ring at this point. Of the game. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> so that makes a difference. Well, um, what else did we not talk about that you think is really important that you would like our students to know about pet insurance? To me, it, it is, I've been in insurance 30 years, okay? And the last 12 I've spent in pet have been the most fun, okay, because it is really bringing value to the consumer. I said it before, I'll say it again, okay. It's easy to get passionate about your pet as a pet parent, but it's equally as easy in insurance to get behind something that people want to buy, okay. Not everyone wants to buy auto. Not, not everyone wants to buy health insurance, but a lot of people want to buy pet insurance because they see the value of that in their pet. The other part that, that we may not have talked about is the whole – referral and spreading of word, okay, that this brings in. I mean, there's a big marketing piece there, 
of people that buy it will go out and tell you they had a great experience with pet insurance. That didn't happen five or six years ago or even 10 years ago. No one talked about it because very few people had it. But that's a really nice trend that's going on. All the social media stuff that's out there that can complement pet is going on. And sure, there's negative things about it, but that helps in the industry figure out where the negative pieces and parts are. So those are, are, are fun things to watch and be part of that trend of providing something that seems to be from the inside looking out a really good product. And Bill, that's great. Yeah, that, that's, those are great words and exactly what, what I would say as well. And for those students who, are, who are, might be listening to this, who are in risk management and insurance degree programs, there are opportunities. Uh, there are opportunities out there, especially with most of your major companies that have added a pet insurance line uh, to their product offering. There are opportunities in the employee benefits space uh, for you to pursue your career. And pet insurance is a great place to start. Especially with all the changes, right, guys? I mean, it's just it's, it's a growing field. There might be 10, there's probably only seven pet actuaries in the country. So there's a need for a lot more. There you go. We need some more people who know their numbers. There you go. Well, I, I appreciate the two of you uh, sharing your expertise with us. It's It's been interesting to listen about all the great things. I, my main takeaway is that Lassie was the first pet policy. So you can tell <laughs> the, where, where my heart lies on that one. So anything else that you would like to share very quickly with any students who are thinking about going into insurance in general, compliance, anything that, do, that has to do with pet insurance? You know, what we don't talk about is behind the scenes, okay, of pet. We talked about the consumer and the market and the good the warm and fuzzy. But this, like any insurance line, is all about big data too. I mean, you're talking about analysis. You're talking, I talked about actuaries, but you're talking about managing a product line, okay, that needs people to look at it and understand analysis, understand pricing variations, understand insurance modeling. So all that is also behind having a very effective and efficient and competitive pet product, just like it is for life insurance or health insurance. It's not, you know, just a, oh, here's five little things we look at and put it on a spreadsheet. It's a, a very complex business to manage so if you're not looking at the sales side or the marketing side or what you can do, or even in the veterinary side, it would be on the claim side, okay? There's a lot of opportunity managing the operations and distribution and analysis of keeping a pet product alive and, and profitable. Very good point. Cindy, anything from your educator standpoint that you would like to add on that? Because you've decided to join the educators here on this, even though you've worked in the industry for a while. So is there anything from that standpoint you would like to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. But other than just what I said is for students to understand all of these opportunities out there. So many times I run into students who when, when, I, when I say when I say risk management, they don't even have any idea what I'm talking about. When I say pet, when I say insurance, they're like, oh, you know, the used car salesman idea you know, of a producer, which I, we don't really compare producers to used car salesmen anymore. But, <laughs> but, you know, just for those of you who are out there listening, there's so many opportunities. There are some people who want to go into being producer and do a great job with it. But that's not the only thing out there. As you know, working in the, the compliance side of insurance and bill with the positions that you've hold, the world is open to you. And there are so many jobs that are coming open in the in the future, in the next few years, as people are aging out of the industry. You need to be thinking about insurance and risk management and stay in those programs. And if you're not majoring in and have the opportunity, get in the insurance and risk management programs. Our program has 100 percent job placement. 
We have not ever had a student who was not fully employed in a great career opportunity within 30 days of graduation. And I would say pet insurance is one of those where you can grow up from the ground up. So absolutely. Absolutely. One parting shot. I will, I will guarantee you that there will not be less regulations on pet as we go forward. No. That's there would right. not be less regulations on insurance as we go forward. No. <laughs> no. Right. Well, thank you, the two of you. I think this has been very enlightening and we enjoyed having you. So thank you. And you're welcome. You're welcome. We hope to see more people in our pet insurance field in the future. So thank you.